Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kiley. This is before the box score uh, post-bachelor pad, uh, bachelor party edition, because we got uh, we got B.K. back. He made it. He survived the weekend. Uh, B.K., how are you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. If you heard me about 48 hours ago, it would have sounded as if I had just gone to seven Super Bowls consecutively and lost my voice at all seven. (laughs) Um, But that is not what happened. I was just in Memphis. It was absolutely fantastic. We had a blast out there. I highly recommend whether you've got a bachelor party or just you've been indoors for the last 18 consecutive months, uh, either of which would be totally fair. (laughs) Highly recommend going on a trip to Memphis with your friends, especially if you're in the St. Louis area. It's quick. It's easy. It's relatively affordable to do. Get a big house, rent it together. It was awesome in every possible way. Great food, cheap drinks, uh, lots of fun. So uh, a blast. And we watched a ton of college football last weekend. We went to the casino on Mm -hmm. Saturday in West Memphis on the Arkansas side where gambling is very much legalized and we had an absolute blast. So good time was had for all and Missouri got a W, which was nice to see as well. Did we did we make any money on the sports gambling? 
Not very much. No. Uh, I had Louisiana, which did not go particularly well. I liked Indiana against Iowa. Ooh, Once again, right. not great. I did like UTSA against Illinois. That Good. went all right. Yeah. And I liked Mizzou minus the 13, unfortunately. Um, so that one Dude. went less than great. But a win is a win is a win. Good teams win. Great teams cover. I think we knew going into the season this is a good one, not a great one. So that's on me. <laughs> well said. And along those lines, I mean, you know, we had we had Parker fill in for you admirably on, on Sunday uh, in our postgame recap show. You've you've written some pieces, but you haven't really had the opportunity to express your opinions on the game uh, in this here corner of the Internet. So I figured... Yes, you all heard uh, the recap from uh, Parker and myself on Sunday, but let's hear what BK thought. Uh, some of the, the big picture things that you saw. I like to hear how you feel about uh, Saturday's game. So let's start with my biggest possible picture um, view of what that game was. And we talked a little bit about this before we started, but people should go read the Beyond the Box score piece. It's fantastic. Each and every week, Nate does unbelievable work and it has to take him god only knows how long so please go read that over at rock game nation but one thing that i saw and i was like god that is something that i was thinking about and nate just said it and it's perfect missouri just didn't beat themselves there were a million different things that when you go through the box score both just the regular one or the analytical one you're like man central michigan played really well against missouri and they had a lot of opportunities that would seem to suggest Central Michigan might have won this game if things went a little differently. But mm. the difference was Missouri didn't get a bunch of penalties that hurt them. They didn't turn the ball over a bunch. They played really well on special teams. They played the field position game well. They didn't make any dumb in-game management decisions. And this is not to keep honing in on the differences between Drinkwitz and Odom, but I think it's really instructive right now as to why Odom is no longer the coach at Missouri. Drinkwitz, since he arrived, did all of the little things right. And when you have such a slim margin for error the way that Missouri does and has and will continue to, that's really important. Just not committing a bunch of penalties and not fumbling the ball all over the place and not going off sides every other play or having a bunch of pass interference calls against you, all of those things add up really quickly. And when you're making your field goals and your punter is doing the right thing and not shanking the football and you're catching the punts that are kicked to you, like all of those things add up, man. And so Missouri on Saturday against Central Michigan just played a clean football game in which they were pretty solid, although not great. And we can get into all of the things that went wrong. And that's how they won. And that's a really big thing for a team that against Middle Tennessee a few years ago or Kentucky, God only knows how many times or yeah. Missouri State, like those things added up and made it painful. And in this game, it didn't. And so I, I think that's probably a good place to start. Missouri, before they're learning how to beat teams, they're learning how to not lose. And that's a weird distinction, but it's a really important one. It is. And it's a, it's a tough one. Um to to consistently establish in a, in a college program again i know we always bring up barry odom but like it, it is really interesting that both odom and Drinkwitz. i mean yes Drinkwitz technically had head coaching experience one year of head coaching experience before he came to mizzou but they're basically brand new coaches around the same age the difference is 
when Barry wanted his guys to perform, he just get them all riled up, lathered up and oh, let's go get him. And like, he, he just unleashed this fury and tap into kind of like that, that aggressive carnal nature to just destroy Barry smash, you know? And, and so those penalties that those Odom teams would commit would all be penalties of regression because they just, they just wanted to win for him so damn bad. And they wanted to, they wanted to give all their effort for, for, for Odom and, and it led to a lot of dumb mistakes and, 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 and it doesn't take, I don't think it takes a veteran coach to do this, but it's a veteran coach move to understand how to control, um, 18 to 22 year old guys, how to control their aggression, how to direct it in a functional way, you know, how to, how to do it in a, in a positive, productive way, uh, and not make stupid mistakes. And, that's that's a huge difference between two coaches of similar age and in similar experience. One could do that, one could not, and that really taps into Eli Drinkwitz's close game magic. You know, I cited in the in the piece that it takes a good coaching, good game management, great quarterback play, and elite special teams, and on top of that, just the management of your team. And so far, Drinkwitz has shown that he has that. And man, that that's just that's a night and day difference uh, of Missouri teams when you can see when a coach has that and when a coach doesn't. Yeah, he just seems to have a pulse of what's going on at all times. And he he knows exactly where he can and can't push his kicker, which is important. He knows exactly what his quarterback is and is not capable of doing, and he doesn't push him to do more. He knows when it's time to put the uh, foot on the gas a little bit. I loved that once again in this game, early on, first play of the game, boom, we're going over the top. We're taking our <laughs> shot now. Boo Smith, you're going to play seven games in the, or seven plays in the game. This is going to be one of them, and it's going to be a big <laughs> one, and it goes for like 60 yards. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that is unique to Eli Drinkwitz and other good coaches. There are other coaches that do stuff like that, but he, he is among that group, and that's super important and a meaningful thing that if it sustains, and there's no reason to believe that it will not, that's something that'll carry over even when the talent starts to improve a little bit and the margin for error is a little bit less. And that's when the game that you saw on Saturday, that was 34, 24, maybe it ends up being 42 to 17 Mm -hmm. and then it ends up being 45 to 12. And that, (laughs) that margin for error continues increasing. And when you continue not beating yourself and now you're starting to lay down the gauntlet a little bit. Okay. Now things are, are potentially going in your way in a big, big way. Um, as for other things that were interesting to me in that game, Tyler Beatty was just clearly the best player on the field. Mm-hmm. There, there was just no close second. He was explosive the way that we all expected him to. He carried the load in the way that not even I thought he would. I don't think you're going to see him with 28 touches consistently throughout the season, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind it if you did. I mean, he's just such a good football player. I think we're going to see more of Elijah Young. He looked good anytime he touched the ball, really. And I think that's probably something that moving forward, you're going to want to see the split more than 25 to five, something closer to carries wise, 15 to 10, mm-hmm. somewhere around 20 to 10, somewhere around there feels better to me. But I get why they kept giving the ball to Tyler Beatty because he was awesome in that game and deserved to continue getting the ball. But Missouri has two running backs that they clearly trust right now, and both of them in, in week one gave them no reason not to. I mean, it was it was a very much a ride or die situation. I said this on Sunday night. Like, I, be, I believe 
that drink was just left Beatty in because because yes, he was doing incredibly well, but he was also like, I I I can't afford for him not to. I I can't have him not out there. I mean, you know, Young Elijah Young and 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 Michael Cox and Dawson Downing, they all got out there. But Beatty was the one that was consistently doing something with with the touches that he got. You know, Elijah Young got his first his first two runs, lost three yards, lost a yard, you know, and then he reels off a 32 yarder and like then a four yarder and then he loses three yards. Like that mm-hmm. that's volatility in a young player that you can't afford if you give him 10 in a game where you're you're barely, you know, you're in a dogfight the entire time. So no, you don't want to see Tyler Beatty getting 26 touches or 30 touches, 30 intended touches per game, but it was a scenario where A, it was working and B, you needed to do it. Yeah, and it was the right move. And when you when you look back on that game, it's like, man, imagine had they not done that. It, it would have yeah. been problematic. They they needed every one of those. And you mentioned Eli, uh, Elijah Young having some negative plays, and a lot of that is because of the offensive line. And you had a great comment about this last week when we recorded and you were proven correct in week one. Maybe it won't stay this way, but it certainly was in week one. You're wide, but not very deep, right? On the offensive line. You like that you have a lot of options, but do you have a lot of good options along (laughs) the offensive line? We weren't really sure because last year it was a little bit up and down, but it was more of a, they were passable than they were good. And we were almost surprised that they were passable. Saturday was basically the same thing. They were just passable and they had moments where it looked okay, especially in pass protection, maybe more so than the running game, but it, it was touch and go at times. And if they're going to be good in the sec this year against Kentucky, for example, or later this year against Boston college, or some of the premier talent that they're going to go up against in the SEC East, they're going to have to be much better than they were on Saturday. And that offensive line is going to be tested in a big, big way now, but they got like a a C grade for what they did against Central Michigan for me. Yeah. Yeah, it was was not their best effort. And I I could have swore I saw... I saw Bobby Lawrence out there. Saw Connor Wood out there. I saw Zeke Powell. I guess that was on special teams because I looked. Um, I went back to the snap counts and I'm like, it was Javon Foster, Xavier Delgado, Mike Maietti, Case Cook, Hyron White, and then Connor Wood, and that was it as far as like the meaningful snaps. So they must have gotten special team stuff, is what I was seeing. Um, but even then, this offensive line, they had they had a stuff rate of thirty one percent. of the runs that Missouri dialed up were met at or behind the line of scrimmage. 31%. To give you an idea of of how that compares last year, 18%. And that was 66th in the nation. Okay. So um, it was not a good game. It was not a good game. Now, most of those were Elijah Young. But even on top of that, even if you avoid the stuff rate, look at everything else. The line yards per carry, basically how how big of a hole were they giving the running backs per carry? 1.5 yards. You know, last year they were averaging 2.3. What was the success rate? It was 42%. Most of that was based on Beatty. Uh, and they got him, you know, some decent holes, but like Central Michigan flew to it. Like they were, they were ready for a lot of that stuff. And if you got a hole, if Beatty or Young got a hole, man, they were gone. They were gone, gone, gone. It's just it was really tough to get past the line of scrimmage. 
And this was Central Michigan. Granted, a very veteran, good defensive line, Central Michigan, but uh, Kentucky's got way better guys. And they're also very, very old and experienced. So it didn't bode well. Uh, I did not like seeing it. And you got to hope that in one week they can can clean that up because it might be rough if they don't. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest questions about the offense. And then the one last thing that I wanted to hone in on the offense was the receivers just got to make more plays. I know there were some that got frustrated with Connor Basilek's performance in that one. And there, there were a few questions about the deep ball accuracy. I know that came back up once again. I actually thought he played pretty darn well overall. Sometimes the receivers just have to make plays, man. And there were too many times where and he's a freshman. He's going to get better at this, but... Dominic Lovett, I thought there were a couple of different pl- plays that he had a chance to make down the sideline. He just didn't get there. Uh, there was one where he only got one hand on it. I believe it was him, and he wasn't able to bring it in. And another one that um, probably should have been made, but he couldn't quite get there. And then there was one other deep ball that was clearly like over the wrong shoulder, and that wasn't on the receiver. But the receivers have to come down with some big-time plays. And they have the talent now at the position where they're going to have to do that more often than not this year. But I thought Connor Bazelak overall played pretty darn well, man. You look at the end statistics and they're pretty solid. I know that's buoyed by the one big play at the very beginning, but I, I thought he was pretty good. And I know they didn't take a ton of chances, but when they did, I thought he was pretty effective in doing so. I, I did not mind what, what Connor was doing. Um, he took two sacks. They weren't terrible sacks. I was surprised Mike Maetti, Maetti gave one up. Uh, that was very shocking to see, but um he got hit in the blind side from uh, the guy Javon Foster was blocking and then just kind of got bowled over up, up front. So those weren't too bad. He averaged 7.6 yards per attempt. And I was looking for like a 7.5 for like, oh, I think the passing game will improve. If we see that. So like he technically surpre- surpassed my expectations. A lot of that was the receivers taking the ball and running. Um, you, you do want to see those deep shots, though. I, I know part of it was. Uh, either by design or by habit, he was not willing to take those last year. Clearly, we he can take the deep shot, but you got to land at least a couple of them, or else people are not going to respect it. And um, one deep shot on, I think it was five. Um, that's not enough to scare anybody, not yet. So, um, two fifty two hundred fifty seven yards on a sixty five point six percent completion percentage, like that's vintage Connor Bazelak. That's good. That's not gonna. That's not gonna hurt you. And you had a killer running game to complement it, so it turned out okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. That either by placement or by receiver playmaking, like the you gotta you gotta haul in a couple of those deep throws for sure. For yeah, absolutely. And I think they're gonna get better there. I think that's something that as the season goes, we'll start seeing some more of that chemistry that's developed, especially between uh, Mookie Cooper, I think, is going to be more involved in stuff like that. And he didn't have a very good game in this one. And he, I, I don't think he was 100%. Can we talk about Mookie Cooper real sure. quick? Did you see what uh, what he said during the, their press conference this afternoon? So he, he was one of the guys that was made available. And I saw that uh, on Twitter that he said that he'd, he did not trust himself to run routes down the field. And so the coaches said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll just kind of keep you in the screens and the jet sweeps. Um, I don't like that BK. I, I, you didn't need him to win this game clearly. Cause he contributed basically Jack squat. And if you're again, this goes back to what we said last week, if you're hurt, especially 
with like a receiver who's fast and your foot is injured. I understand that he hasn't played a game since his junior year of high school. I get that. Do we need to give him a screen where he gets piled on by half the defense? Do we need to run a jet sweep where it takes some speed to get around the corner and he not only once but twice got his legs cut out from under him? Like, that just seems really reckless. And I again, I know you need to get him up to game speed to have him be effective. But if he's telling you, I don't trust myself to run routes, why even put him out there in the first place? Yeah, uh, that's a surprising quote. Um, it's interesting. I don't love hearing that because the re-injury rate, and this is not me playing doctor. I've read about this just because foot injuries suck. Um, mm-hmm. You see a lot of this in basketball from big guys, right? The re-injury rate on stuff like this, especially for receivers that are planting, I think we've seen that from Amari Cooper in the past in the NFL, mm-hmm. is pretty darn high. And getting over these kinds of injuries is really difficult. And they can last and linger all season long if, you, if you're if you not careful with them. It The tough part is, like this might just be something he has to deal with all year. And if it is, we might not see Mookie Cooper at 100% this season. So... The, my takeaway from that is is a little a little more reserved than what you had, and it's it's this: don't judge Mookie Cooper really on what you see this year from him. Until yeah. you start seeing him run downfield consistently, let's just assume he's not at a hundred percent, and the player we're watching right now might be closer to sixty or seventy percent at best. And I still thought you could see some of the explosiveness that he had. I mean, it's in there. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of getting the ball in his hands more downfield as opposed to two yards down the field and see if he can make somebody miss in the open field. So uh, my, I would say don't don't judge him just yet on exactly what he can do. And let's let's give this some time for him to heal and become the player that he's going to be eventually. Yeah, I, I I'm not like I'm not shaming him or anything sure. like that, like you know you know how, how you feel when you do anything. If you tell the coaches, I can't do this, I mean, thank God they didn't run him downfield. But still, at the same time, don't play him. Don't play him. Um, if if this is a lingering thing, which, like you said, they, they tend to be, I, I don't want to be like, <laughs> I can't, I, yeah, I'm like, I don't want to play doctor and say, well, this has this is the way it has to be. I'm kind of getting to like, maybe we should just not play him. You know, not, not in these first couple games. I mean, what what are... The goals of this season are to get to a bowl, right? Like that's that's the goal. Obviously, you always want to win the division, win the SEC. But realistically, we want to get into a bowl game and win the bowl game. And I don't think you need Mookie Cooper to do that. I want him to play. I want him to get experience. I want him to contribute as a Missouri Tiger. I also want him to be able to play this sport for the rest of mm. his life or as long as he wants to. I don't want him to have to you know stop prematurely. And, and foot injuries are, are, are scary, man. And, and that's, you need your feet to run. So I, I don't know if, if they shut him down, I would be for it. I feel like that would be the best call. It'd be, it'd suck to not be able to see him. And that's, that's all I want to do is see him be awesome. But yeah, I want to see him be awesome. I don't want to see him out there at 60% trying to make a play and not able to, because his, because physically he can't. Yeah. I, I have to imagine that they know these things and the training staff is probably based on the more, they have much more information of course than we do. Sure. 
And I have to imagine they're looking at this and saying, hey, the re-injury rate on something like this is low. It's going to be difficult to play through. You're going to be uncomfortable, but you can play through it if you're willing to. And we're going to leave that decision up to the kid. And I know sometimes it, it, it feels right to take that decision out of the kid's hands because you want to save them from themselves because they're always going to say, I want to play. Uh, I totally get that, but I'm, I'm going to lean towards the team clearly or otherwise you wouldn't have been playing. They, they have some kind of information that we don't that would seem to suggest that this is going to be all right. So I hope they're right and that everything's going to be hunky dory moving forward. But that is that is definitely a concerning quote. And it goes towards kind of what we were saying. If Mookie's not going to be at 100 percent, then other guys are just going to have to step up. And it puts even that yeah. much more pressure on a guy like Dominic Lovett because he mm-hmm. is that explosive athlete that they have on the outside. The other thing is Boo Smith, big time play, man. That's a hell of a yeah. play by him. And it, it, it indicates mm-hmm. why he is where he was on the depth chart. And we were asking last week, you know, why is J.J. Mm-hmm. Hester not at least beating out Boo Smith? Well, we saw why, because he brings <laughs> one particular skill to the field. And it's a very, very important one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was wrong. I, I will say it. Um Boo Smith is the guy who can make that play. Now he he didn't get a lot of targets. Um, he only had seven snaps. Three times. Yeah, yeah, three targets and seven snaps, two catches. Like that's making the most of what you got, man. Um, so like that's that's good. Um, so yeah, credit to him. It's, you know, he was the first player of the 2021 season, which is pretty dang cool. Um, so like yeah, that's that's great. And and you know, Towski Dove did not have a good game either. Uh, four targets, one catch. Uh, he was pretty well covered for most of the game. Uh, so that's, you know, that's okay. Like Kiki Chisholm, 47 yards on five targets. Tyler Beatty, again, the hero, 40, 40 yards on four targets. But like really God, Chance good. Looper, Chance Looper. I know they said he had a great camp. Um, I saw it. I saw it. three catches, four targets, 35 yards, uh, 50% success rate on those catches. Like he was, he was catching the ball with his hands and running through contact and getting open. And uh, that was, I was very impressed. He was very good. Yeah. The getting open part being key, right? Last year, there just wasn't a whole lot of separation from the receivers. And it seemed like Looper was one of the guys. Bruce Smith certainly fit into that category. I felt like there were times where even though he didn't end up doing a whole lot in the stat sheet, you could see Dominic Lovett was at least creating some separation. So They've got guys that can do it, and now it's about consistently finishing those plays and then adding on after they catch the ball. So they'll get there. It's going to take some time, but you can see where this offense is potentially going. Defensively, mm-hmm. can can we start with the linebackers for a sec? We'll get to the D-line because I know that's where everybody <laughs> wants to get to. No, I want to I hear about your boy Blaze and how you feel about how the linebackers did. They weren't good. They weren't good. Um, I know everybody's crediting Blaze Aldridge and they should. He had a, a very impressive stat line in the game and he's really good at blitzing. And this is something that when I watched him at Rice, he was he was a great blitzer. He he just has a knack for getting to the quarterback as an extra uh, defender in the box. Very good at it. I think Devon Nicholson has some of that to his game. He He's got an ability to almost be a fifth defensive end out there at times. He's very versatile in that way. They are really, really missing Nick Bolton in the running game right now. I mean, Aldridge and Nicholson, there were times when they were nowhere to be found in their run fits. They would be going through like 
guard tackle gap and Aldridge would be all the way outside the defensive end and Nicholson's getting blown off the ball five yards and then there's a boom clear path to the safety that just can't happen man they they have to be better in that in those situations and they have no other options I think the only other guy that got any snaps at linebacker was Chad Bailey, and he had like five of them in that game. They have two (laughs) linebackers they trust right now, Aldridge and Nicholson. That's it. So those guys just have to be better than they were last week. And I know what the stats say, and I totally get it if you're somebody that's yelling at me right now because Blaze Aldridge had three and a half sacks, so he had a good game. I get it. I think he was SEC Defensive Player of the Week. So whatever. But when you watch the game... And you start seeing that Missouri's getting blown off the ball and they've got these massive gaps that they're running through. Yes, some of that is absolutely the defensive line. We'll get to that. But it's also the linebackers not pursuing the right way and not getting their correct run fits. And that's that is something they have to fix against a team like Kentucky. Blaze Aldridge is a Viking warrior. He is he is all gas, no breaks, just attack, 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 attack. It's great if you are a pass rushing defensive end or a pass rushing outside linebacker. Not great when you are reading your keys and trying to stop the run. So I don't I don't know what we do about this. I don't know if Steve Wilkes goes, you know what? Screw it. Yeah, Blaze rushes every game. Every play, he is bringing pressure somewhere. And just let uh, Martez and Jelani or JC uh, and Devin just, hey, you guys, they're cleaning up his mess. Or it's blaze we cannot have you <laughs> rushing headlong into the line uh trying to generate havoc we need you to play we need you to play the run too i i, I don't know what the answer is obviously it's going to be a mix of both but he is a very aggressive player and that leads to some open passing lanes and it leads to some open running lanes and if the defensive line can't hold their ground which last week they could not that is troublesome so I was very impressed with what Blaze did do. I was also very sad with what he didn't do. And uh, yeah, you got to hope that uh, he sees that on his tape and he can fix it because Kentucky can run the ball, man, just as well as Central Michigan can. And they've got a better offensive line, which brings us to our next point. Oh, boy. Where's Missouri's defensive line at? Because they didn't show up outside of Mackie, Mackay. We're not really sure. Mackay Wingo is what I'm going with. He was good. I liked what I saw from him. He looked like Missouri's best defensive tackle. He's 18 years old. Yep. Where are the rest of the defensive tackles? They're like 25. (laughs) They've been on campus, I think, for seven years. And I don't understand what happened because Kobe Whiteside was legitimately good. Akil Byers had some real moments. Darius Robinson, I thought last year, despite the lack of statistics, looked like the best player on the defense at times. There were moments where it was like, whoa, that guy is an absolute nightmare for the opposing offense. And Trajan Jeffcoat was a legit all-SEC defender last year. Where'd everybody go against Central Michigan? I felt like I was Will Smith at the end of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air just looking around, and that was me and Makai Wingo just chilling in the house with nothing there to see. Where's everybody at? We were supposed to have four of us, and it's just it's just Makai Wingo. And he brought snacks. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was so disappointed. And, I, I mean, I know they're college kids. I was disappointed in Kobe and, and Akil Byers. I really was. There was just no, no internal pressure until Makai Wingo got in there and just started splitting the guard in the center basically every play. So I, I don't know what it is. Uh. 
Wingo obviously earned those 45 snaps that he got. That was the most of uh, any of the defensive linemen. Um, but yeah, apparently Byers in, uh, was in there for 43 snaps and Whiteside was in there for 41 snaps. Couldn't tell you when. You know, if they were on there, they're getting blown five yards down the field. So I don't know. Uh, I did like Johnny Walker. I thought in his limited uh, rotations, he he did provide some pretty good quarterback pressure. Um, you know, Trajan got the one sack kind of early in the game, but yeah, I don't know, man. And this, and now you're now you're sitting here and thinking, okay, what could a, what could Kai Montgomery do here? Mm-hmm. What could he do here? And and now you're like. Ah, I'm just getting more mad about that injury by the day. It's frustrating. And I, I think the reason why it's so frustrating is because we had higher expectations and maybe that's on us. I, we, we really didn't see a whole lot from Whiteside last year, but I was more than happy to put that on a hey, weird COVID year. Wasn't healthy mm-hmm. all season long. Maybe it'll get better. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if maybe Kobe Whiteside was just a creation of being next to Jordan Elliott. And it was a fair question to ask going into last year. And I just thought he was better. Um, and this is not a shot at the kid. Like, I, I hope he goes on to do great things and whatever is next, whether that's the NFL or if he just goes on to do whatever it is that he wants to do in life. But when we're just purely breaking down the football side of things, this is not the player that I expected him to be. I thought he was going to be a little better. And that that was very surprising to me. And uh, on buyers, I just, I don't know what to make of it anymore, man. He 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 was pretty good when he first got to campus. And mm-hmm. I haven't really seen that same guy since. So I, I don't know what to make of it. But I think Makai Wingo, at least based on the first week, is clearly your best guy. And I think he deserves to get the most snaps on the interior. I would like to see, like you, a little bit more Johnny Walker. Let's see what that looks like out there. Trajan Jeffcoat has proven that he is a good player in this league, so let's see more of that. And then kind of piece things together from there. I thought Maguire was okay for the most part. Yeah. Maybe okay. that's your your starting four, and you figure out what to do with it. Maybe you bump in Isaiah Maguire a little bit more often on third down situations mm-hmm. in particular, and, and you run with Wingo, Maguire on the inside, Jeff Coat Walker on the outside, and let's go for it. And let's see what that looks like. But the reason that Missouri had to go with so much man coverage, which got them beat a lot in the first half um, and a little bit early into the second half, was because they could get no pressure with their front four. And so they had to start bringing Blaze Aldridge. They had to start bringing the safeties. And that puts your cornerbacks in very disadvantageous situations. They are man on man on the outside. And Central Michigan had a couple of good receivers out there. And boom, suddenly you're watching. You're like, what is going on? How are we getting beat? Well, you're getting beat because you're basically pushing the engage eight every time when you're playing Madden. And your corners are left out there on an island. And it's very difficult to win that way consistently. I will say, in defense of that uh, pass defense, they absolutely eliminated Khalil Pimpleton. Mm-hmm. That dude had 10 targets, one catch. He tried to throw it one time. He tried to run it one time. Just nothing. Problem is that they also had a dude named Ja'Cory Sullivan. And Mr. Sullivan ended up going for, was it, 15 targets, 10 catches, 126 yards. 60% success rate every time he touched the ball. So, like, Dallas Dixon was pretty good, too. 78 yards on nine targets. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, they're blowing holes the size of, you know, Jefferson City in the defensive line with Lou Nichols and uh, Darius Bracey. So it was 
I thought the pass defense was okay, all things considered, but, and maybe this might be your next point, Caleb Evans is definitely a starting corner and should be a starting corner. Just play him yeah. as much as possible. God, he's, he's yeah. so clearly superior to every other option you have in the defensive backfield. He's just, he's really good. Mm-hmm. And like Allie Green only got 22 snaps. So like it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was Evans and it was Rakestraw seeing most of the, of the snaps and Rakestraw once again, just got toasty a little times, but like, I guess that's our best option. I, I certainly don't see a reason to start Rakestraw in Birdine every single game for whatever reason they were doing. Um, but Evans is by far and away our best corner, and he should he should never leave the field. If you ask me, their second best corner might be Chris Abrams Drain. Dude, he's kind of good, like legitimately. A nickel, and, and, and yeah. I, and I was stunned. That's a starting position now in, in college football, certainly in the NFL. Teams are going with so much th- three wide receiver sets that when they're doing that, you match it up with three corners. Of course, makes sense. Caleb Evans has to be one on the outside. They're probably going to go Enos Rakestraw moving forward on the other side. Like it or not, that's going to be the plan. And I think he'll probably mix in with Allie Green the fourth. Chris Abrams' drain was one of the biggest surprises of camp being as counted upon as he was. He's your starting nickel and he deserves to be. He was awesome in that game, man. He, he made multiple plays. He broke on the ball well. He did not have any trouble carrying up the field. He's got impressive speed. We knew that. But he played a really great game in the slot, and I was super impressed by what he was able to bring to the table. The other guy that surprised me a little bit was J.C. Carlisle. Oh, yeah. Also really good once he was able to come into the game. Now, there were some moments where he didn't take good uh, good routes, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of watching Ian Simon back there where there's a mm-hmm. lot of really good and a few really bad, and sometimes <laughs> the really bad almost overcomes the really good. But mm-hmm. he made a couple of big-time hits. He is not afraid to lay the wood, whether it be a quarterback, running back, whomever. He had a couple of nice plays on the ball. He had the interception. Carlisle had a very nice game as well. So I thought overall, I know what the numbers suggested, but they were left out to dry a little bit because of the defense they were having to play. I thought the I thought the D-backs had a pretty good game overall in that one. Yeah. And you didn't even mention Sean Robinson. Yeah. Four and a half tackles, a sack. Most beautiful sack I've ever seen in my life. Martez Manuel had a mostly quiet game with only three and a half tackles and a tackle for loss, but like... You didn't really notice the safeties, even when uh, Jelani Williams was in there. Yeah, he he took a couple bad angles, but he was left out to dry by the linebackers just, you know, running to the sideline and forgetting to play the game of football. Um, so, like, I don't, I certainly didn't blame him. He didn't have the highlights that Carly's had, but, like, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I was I was impressed with the safeties. I thought the corners, uh, all three of them did really well, given the circumstance. It's, it's the front six. and. Because, you know, Blaze Aldridge came in with a with such a massive reputation and because our entire defensive line, you're starting to all SEC end and two, yeah, seventh year seniors and Isaiah McGuire, who's been here for a couple of years, you just expect better. Was it scheme? Was it rest? What I, I don't know. I don't know. But if that's if that's the type of game they're gonna play against Kentucky or God forbid all year, it's gonna be a very long year when, when Missouri has to play defense. I also will give credit where it is due. 
I loved that Steve Wilkes just completely threw out the game plan midway through the game. It's like, what we're doing is not working. Here's what we're going to do instead. Steve Wilkes is a zone defense guy. He, he, he wants to play a lot of zone, and he's going to blitz out of that zone. The second half, you basically played exclusively man. <laughs> and for a defensive coordinator, typically that is the opposite of what they are trying to do. They will run their scheme and come hell or high water, that scheme is going to work, right? Mm. It wasn't working against Central Michigan in the first half. He recognized it. He saw what the adjustment needed to be, and he went out there and he put his players in the best position to succeed. Did it get him beat a couple of times? Yeah. But more often than not, you started seeing a little bit more pressure. The quarterback from the opposing team, who I thought was pretty good, by the way, uh, mm. Sermon, he ended up making a couple of plays where I was like, ooh, that, that was ugly. That's not what you saw from him in the first half. And Missouri's defense looked a little better. So credit where it is due, Steve Wilkes looking like an NFL-level coach who's not afraid to switch things up if necessary, did a really good job of putting his guys in positions to succeed. So I thought overall, good win, a clean win. There were definitely some things that leave a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth and not covering the spread was very disappointing to me as a better, but I thought overall a pretty good victory and kind of what we expected, at least certainly what Nate Edwards expected, the pessimist himself who came into the year telling you to eat your vegetables and be happy with seven and five and saying that Central Michigan and Boston College, these are going to be difficult games. And guess what? He was right. I hate that I was, but I was. Yeah. So that's okay. As long as we're learning, right? If we're learning and getting better, it's always easier to do that in a win, obviously. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you got 25 practices or however much you have, and you think you got it under control. And then some other team comes in here and goes, no, you don't. And if you can still win, even by being proven wrong, like, that's great. That's great. Cause now you got lessons to learn and you got a W. So, I, I kind of feel like this week's going to be another tough lesson. Got a lot of a lot of lessons to learn throughout this season. But that's what this season is. Win as many games as you can. Build toward the future. Get some youth out there. Makai Wingo, we see you. Right? J- Jalen Carlis, we see you. Dominic Lovett, catch the ball. But we see you. Uh, these, these young pieces are going to be getting thrown into the rotation now. It's going to be up and down. There's going to be... Some very frustrating moments, some very awesome moments. That's how young teams work. Um, but this is this is how you build. And so far, Eli Drinkwitz is doing well. Uh, he's he's on the right path. Uh, so now we just got to go out there, support him, and uh, ride through the season. That's that's what he's asking us to do. So that's what we got to do, right? Absolutely. And now you go into a weekend matchup against Kentucky. And oh boy. I'm not feeling great, Nate. I got to be honest with you. Um, And it has a lot less to do with Missouri and a lot more to do with Kentucky. I think they're pretty good. Now, that being said, I have no idea how much I should actually take from their opening week victory against uh, UL Monroe. That's not a good football team. If I'm not mistaken, I think they went winless last year. Mm-hmm. and Kentucky put up a ton of points against them. Their passing game looked awesome. They could basically do whatever they wanted. They took D-dots. They, they were efficient. Everything went well for Kentucky against UL Monroe. Everything should go well, though, for Kentucky against UL Monroe. What we know about them, with, without even taking into account last week's game, 
They have legitimate NFL level talent on the offensive line. They have a legitimate NFL talent at wide receiver, the transfer from Nebraska. And they have a quarterback that can get the ball to those guys now. They also still have that vaunted running game that they've had for so long, and they can basically do whatever they want with it. And they've got a really stout defense coached by one of the better defensive minds in college football. That's always going to be difficult to overcome. It's particularly difficult to overcome when it's Missouri's first night game on the road under Eli Drinkwitz when there's like legit crowds in the stands. (laughs) And it's coming in week two when Missouri doesn't really know what it has just yet. So I think the spread feels about right. It's right around five points last I checked. Mm -hmm. I think that feels about right. And I I think when all is said and done, I'm probably going to be picking Kentucky in this one by about a score. And that's not a shot against Missouri. It's just kind of a statement on where I think these two teams are right now. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 my my preview goes out tomorrow, um, and in it, I I said that. I mean, I know this is going to be unpopular, but the current iteration of of the Kentucky Wildcat football program is what Missouri is building towards right now. Consistent, salty, plays to an identity, develops three star guys, nabs blue chip talents, gets kids to the NFL. Wins eight games, goes to the bowl, scares a couple teams. That's that's what we want to be in a couple years. I think that Kentucky under Stoops has hit its ceiling. A couple years, you get 10, 11 wins. Most of the time, you're at seven and eight. That's a good existence in the SEC. I don't think he's going to take them much further than that. I don't know if that would be Missouri's ceiling. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it's something that they are, you know, they... They are striving to reach that point and then take it further. And I think they can. I know they can. They've won the SEC East twice. I know that they can do that. Um, But Kentucky is just a better program. And now, as Eli Drinkwood said, they brought in two NFL receivers, an NFL offensive line, and an NFL coordinator. So, yes, they are very, very dangerous. I think Kentucky probably wins by seven. I think it's a close game. But it's on the road that night. Missouri has not been super great or wasn't super impressive, I should say. Can I give you a reason for some optimism? Please. Though? Absolutely. Yes, I'm I'm looking for them. We're going to do a little a little role reversal here on, on before. The I love score. it because what I'm looking at is that Kentucky has won five of the last six against Missouri. Kentucky, basically, as you said last year, I'll always remember the line. They take a mirror to you and tell you just what you are as a football program. And I don't want to look in the mirror just yet. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to Dorian Gray this shit for as long as we possibly can. Um, Here is here is a reason for optimism. And again, Monroe, bad, bad at football. I'm going to read to you. The drives that the first team Kentucky Wildcats put together, the outcome, and the number of plays that they took. Are you ready? Here we go. Interception in three plays. Touchdown in five plays. Touchdown in one play. Touchdown 14 plays. Fumble in two plays. Touchdown in four plays. Punt, five plays. End of half, two plays. Punt on three plays. Field goal, seven plays. And... 
the twos came in towards the end, but the one started it, a touchdown in nine plays. Do you sense a theme here, BK? That they did well? They did very well. They struck very fast. They didn't I got, have to I stream be together. I don't know what you're trying to do to make me feel good about this. <laughs> they didn't have to string together a series yeah. of plays. They didn't have to stray from the script at all. Typically, you script your first, what, 28, 30 plays? First team didn't get, they got three plays past their script. Liam Cohen didn't have to coordinate on the fly. He didn't have to go into the fourth quarter. He didn't have to analyze, all right, what the hell is working and let's do that. He didn't get punched in the mouth. None of them did because Monroe sucks. Sorry, Warhawks, I love you, but you suck. They have been the toast of the SEC all week. Oh, my God, Kentucky's got an offense. Who's going to stop them? They had no resistance at all on Saturday, except for one play that was like they had a bunch of penalties and like false starts and all this kind of junk that threw them off. That's why it took 14 plays. They struck first, got off the field fast. What happens when a defense walks out there and can actually, you know, put up a fight? has a pulse, can maybe cause some havoc. What happens then? It, I'm grasping at straws here. I understand that. But this was basically a seven-on-seven seven scrimmage. They were not tested at all. They have really, really don't have any idea of what they can do. And when you have an SEC defense, granted, I don't know how good it is, but when you have an SEC defense and you're used to going up and down, and you're like, oh, this is great, this is easy. What happens then? I don't have an answer for you, but I'm hoping it throws them off enough. They get frustrated enough and they don't know how to counterpunch because they didn't have to last week that Missouri can at least take advantage of that and hang tight. Maybe even I more. like I like the idea of it. Um, my fear is like their new offensive coordinator is a guy that learned under Sean McVay or that that system. Right. And yeah. The thing about Sean McVay's system is that it completely marries the passing game with the running game. And that's what's made it so effective. Correct. You're, you're able to run play action to an incredibly high degree because everything looks the same to the defense. And the reason why that concerns me for Mizzou in particular is because which is the linebackers. You're trying to take the linebackers and say, right. I think you're going to over pursue here. And we're going to get you on the other side where you were supposed to be if you were following this bootleg action. And Missouri's linebackers last week were more than happy to over pursue. And that was without any sort of play action most of the time. So now when you add that into the mix, mm -hmm. what does that look like? And now you're, you're getting six, seven, eight, nine plays deep into their scheme. And you're doing this over an extended period of time. Okay. So now they've just got long extended drives. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for Missouri's defense? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. I don't know. The other interesting part um, from the, from the interviews this afternoon is that Steve Wilkes and Liam Cohen have gone up against each other before. Rams played the Browns or yeah. Mm -hmm. Rams played the Browns two years ago. I think is what they said. Um, Cohen was the quarterback's coach. Wilkes was the DC. So he's seen this scheme before. This, this is not something new. Joe Burrow and LSU ran it. The Rams have run it, which means all the little Sean McVay Ram disciples run it. This, this is not a new concept. 
it's not going to take anybody by surprise, especially in the SEC is my point. Wilkes has seen it at the professional level. I'm sure he's looking at the same tape that that Cohen and Stoops are looking at. So this isn't going to be, well, I don't know how I'm going to react to this. I don't know how I'm Mm. going to call. Like, he knows exactly what he's going to call. What he needs to do is he needs to tell Blaze and Devin, like, look, this is what they're going to do. Here's what you did last week. Remember when you screwed that up? (laughs) We We got eight plays of tape of you screwing this up. Um, so you know that this is a problem and that's one of the benefits of getting punched in the mouth and being shown what you suck at is that now you know what you suck at. And if you know that the, the opponent is going to be, you know, targeting that weakness of yours, you can either scheme or just drill, uh, how to counteract that, how to be prepared for that. I don't know what any of this means, man. Like we can overanalyze (laughs) this to as much as you want. Um, I think Kentucky is going to probably put up a bunch of points and I don't know if Missouri is going to be able to respond, but I do think there are some, um, uh, intangible weaknesses or just intangibles in general that maybe Missouri can take advantage of. And because college teams are never the same team week to week to week and college kids are known to be pretty volatile. Um, you know, maybe it is something that they can key on to try and find, a little little scratch of an advantage uh, to, to, to try Man, and hang on and, and possibly win. It's a fascinating again, matchup I don't know. in so many different ways. And it's the swingiest of all swing games, and it comes early in the season, which I both love and hate. Like it, it It's great because we actually learn something yeah. about Mizzou in the first couple of weeks of the season, as opposed to some years where it's like, hey, we're going to play SEMO in week one, and then we're going to play Louisiana Monroe of the East in week two. And then uh, week three, we're really getting wild here. We're going to play Western Kansas. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. So I'm just going to go ahead and check this out in October. Yeah. We're going to learn real things here about Missouri, and it's going to tell us a lot, and it's going to, like, if Missouri's able to win this game, if you're right, and they've got a real shot here, and your optimistic side comes through, hey man, Missouri's probably going to start 3-0, and and then they're going to be feeling pretty good as they head out to Boston College. If you win that game, now you're feeling really good about where this team's at. So, it really does swing the momentum of the season, depending on what happens in Kentucky. If you lose, that doesn't mean the season's over, but... It does kind of change the perception, I think, when they get back from Kentucky for next week's game. If they win this one, I think you're going to have a lot of Mizzou fans that are are really starting to buy in um, in a big way, not just on the recruiting side of things and what the future looks like, but also what the here and now looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Recruits will notice. Fans will notice. The the wins this year are just to solidify recruiting gains. And I, I don't know how many each player needs to be shown that, yes, this program's on the right track, but you need some. You, need, you probably need a winning season. If you go out and, you know, win five games, guess what? The recruits are going to start looking elsewhere, no matter what kind of awesome pitch you can give them. Um, So, yeah, th- th- again, this season's for about building towards the future, but you also have to win now. And this this would be huge. You know, if Kentucky wins this, I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, yeah, Missouri's clearly the third best team in the in the East. Oh, yeah, they're definitely going to, you know, make a run and give a scare to Florida and Georgia. And, oh, God, could we possibly win? Like, no, I'm not going to say that. This team is still going to be this team, regardless of whether they win or not. The point overall, though, is that, again, you're looking for proof of concept in year two of the Drinkwitz regime. And this is the first really major test. Um SEC road game at night with an actual full crowd of people and a, and a fairly young team that, that Missouri is taking. So 
there are a lot of warts on this team. Kentucky didn't really show any last week, but didn't didn't really have the opportunity to show that they had any weaknesses. And a very confident team is going to be playing a very humbled but hungry team. And I, I I'm going to say Kentucky wins. But I think regardless, it's going to be a very uncomfortable close game until that, uh, until the very that end. That feels right to me. Is there any other things in particular, like any individual matchups, any other notes that you saw as you were kind of going through and diving into the data, which I know you do as well as anybody? Is there anything else that Missouri fans should be watching for in this game? And as it develops, maybe it'll kind of show you where this game, where this is headed. So one of the interesting things I noticed about Will Levis, I went back to his days at Penn State. He doesn't have, uh, he didn't take a lot of snaps there, and obviously he just had one game with Kentucky. Um, but if you look at how he does against um, against defenses, and particularly like if you're looking at um, man coverage versus zone coverage, and like we've talked about Steve Wilkes, he's his own guy. Will Levis's QBR when throwing into man coverage mm. was 16.6. When throwing against zone, 83.9. Now, again, that's what? 55 passes at Penn State and the 30 that he tossed at Kentucky last week. Very small sample size. However, that's stark. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not like, I don't know QBR super, super well. But I do know that 16.6 is bad. I do know that 83.9 is really freaking good. And if Steve Wilkes is a zone guy and Will Levis likes to chew up the zone, maybe we play a little bit more man (laughs) and bring some pressure because he doesn't do super well in blitzing downs when he gets rushed and he doesn't do super well when throwing in man coverage. So that would be my suggestion. Makes a lot of sense. And they just showed you in the second half against Central Michigan that they're capable of doing it. And you've got linebackers who, hey, if they're going to get lost in that um, bootleg action stuff anyways, you might as well at least throw them at the quarterbacks, you know, Th- throw more bodies yeah. at the yeah. at the problem. And maybe you're going to end up hitting somebody. I think it makes a lot of sense to go that route. The the one concern is you also have to worry about the running game against Kentucky. And if you're if you're mm-hmm. blitzing your linebackers up the middle and suddenly the running backs sneaking out on the outside corner off tackle. Well, now you've got a big time problem if your safety isn't making a tackle. And I mentioned how mm-hmm. as much as I loved Carlisle's game, he did have some issues with angles every once in a while. So you are setting yourself up for potentially some big time plays coming against you, but you're also setting up that it's that toxic report, right? When you look at this after a game, if you're getting a bunch of TFLs and sacks and interceptions and forced fumbles, that's great. If you're also giving up a bunch of big plays as a result of that, it's it's a little bit of a balancing act. And it kind of depends which side you come out of the ledger on that. And that I think that might be the game that Missouri has to play against Kentucky. Yeah, I think there is going to be a point where they just say, screw it, send everybody. Because if that passing game is humming, you got to disrupt them. And well, after, after one game, the front four has shown that they cannot do that on their own. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I Again, Losing this game does not derail the the realistic goals of this season, but because it's Kentucky and because they beat us five years in a row before last year, you just, uh, mm-hmm. 
you, you, you want it. You want it so bad. So, um, I don't know. We're not doing. You're doing score predictions Friday, so we'll we'll leave that for for that piece. But um, close and stressful. Yes, hundred percent. I, I think Kentucky wins by seven. I'll leave the score prediction for the the website, but I think Kentucky ends up winning very close. Mm. And I hope, I really, really hope that I'm wrong on that. But hey, in good news, we flipped a recruit. A good one. That was pretty cool. A really good one. I know. You, I saw your I saw your Twitter machine humming <laughs> last night. I'm like, ooh, he's in the lab, um, looking at film. But yeah, Valen Erickson. Um, the, the offensive tackle from Chicago, Illinois, the first for the Chicago pipeline for Drinkwitz that he, he talked about establishing, uh, 43rd best tackle in the country, seventh best player in the state of Illinois, uh, hailing from St. Rita high school. He is six, six, three fifteen. He is a 5.73 star and he was committed to Nebraska until, uh, a couple days ago. And now he's committed to Mizzou. So BK, he is so mean. I mean, so mean. He he really hates <laughs> defensive linemen. And then if if that's not enough, he'll take it up to a linebacker. And if they're in the way, ah, let's go ahead and take a safety out as well. It is becoming increasingly clear, Nate. Eli Drinkwitz has a type. And with offensive linemen, there are a lot of words that I cannot say in podcast form that Eli Drinkwitz loves to see. But basically, to sum it all down, he wants them to be as nasty as possible in the running game. And that is exactly the way that I would describe Valen Erickson. He is mean. He is tenacious. He finishes every block like it is the last thing that he is ever going to do on a football field. There are some questions for me as to what it's going to look like when he has to go up against very quick edge rushers. Although it did look like... I. I was able to see one game from what he's done so far this year compared to what his highlights looks like from uh, last year. Looks like he's quicker and mm-hmm. looks like he's a little bit more nimble in pass protection this year. So that's a, a huge development for him. And if he's able to continue that, nice. now you've really got something. But it looks like they're recruiting him truly as a tackle. He will stay outside. Uh, and that's the expectation for him moving forward. You add him in with a couple of the other guys. They've got one guard in this class, another guy that is kind of guard slash tackle can play either, and another one that they say basically can play inside or out anywhere, like literally can play any of the five positions. Mm -hmm. But I think they view him as a center um, moving forward, at least based on all the reporting that's been done. Missouri's starting to load up on the offensive line, and they're getting athletic, movement types of players that like getting out in space and just destroying defensive linemen. And we talked earlier today, Missouri has an offensive line that has a lot of options, but you're not really in love with a whole lot of them between this class that they've already put together, which I really like and next year's class, both in state and across the state line with miles McVeigh and Paris Patterson at East St. Louis, both of whom are four stars Caden Green, four-star offensive tackle at Lee Summit North. Another four-star offensive lineman, Logan Reichert at Raytown. That is a lot of talent, very close to the University of Missouri. And if they're able to land maybe two of them in next year's class, if you could somehow get three, now you're really talking about the foundation of what can be a truly improved offensive line by 2023 and definitely by 2024. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things 
what are we at? Four offensive linemen for this class? One, two, three, four. Yeah, we got four offensive mm-hmm. linemen in this class. So we need we need to save some space for for the for the four stars that are across the river. And yeah, maybe it's two, maybe it's three. I don't know. But drink. How many times has Drinkwood said that the SEC is a line of scrimmage league? Like every interview for the past couple months, basically, right? And he is backing that up by bringing in, like you said, mean offensive linemen, talented defensive linemen. Um, and he's, he's going to, he's going to try and win that, that line of scrimmage. It's going to take a couple years for this talent to hit, right? Like it's not going to be immediate <laughs> unless you're Makai Wingo. And then you just start, you know, game one and be awesome. That's, that's also acceptable. Um, but he is doing what he can. He's, he's backing up what he said when he's trying to make a championship caliber team and he's doing it in ways that make a lot of sense. So, um, Valen Erickson, welcome on board, man. I hope you stick around. It's it's been a hell of a trip so far, and we hope you can be part of it. Um, but this is going to be, you know, two years from now. Th- oh my God, two years from yeah. now. Think of what this offensive line could be. Just and even I mean, even oh. next year, right? V- Valen Erickson is going to join a group that you've basically got Javon Foster, Connor Wood, Mitchell Walters, and Bobby Lawrence at tackle for next year. I think he's mm-hmm. going to be a backup mm-hmm. at best in that spot. I don't think he's going to immediately jump Foster or Wood. But the following year, he could be a redshirt freshman that's starting for you at tackle. That is totally in play for this team yep. by 2023. And he might be bookended with one of these other four or five-star offensive tackles at that point. So you could be looking at in 2023 a very young, very talented offensive line. That That's a lot of fun, man. That, that is something that is worth getting excited about. And young offensive linemen are scary because they are not always great, but these ones are really talented, and it's a little different than the types of players that Missouri was recruiting on the offensive line under Gary Pinkle in particular. That was more super athletic, almost tight end type of size that we're going to bulk up, and by year three, they're going to be very good. Missouri's now going after guys that are like 6'6", 315 pounds, and they could come in tomorrow and be the size that they need to be for the SEC. That That's quite the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bingo liked athletic linemen. <laughs> Odom liked fat linemen. <laughs> Drinkwitz likes good linemen. He wants some, he wants some tailor made ready to go. Um, and he's getting them. That's, that's awesome. So, yeah, I that takes uh, that commitment takes it depends on where you look. Uh, according to rivals, uh, Missouri's rank is now 23rd in the nation, according to 247, hmm. which I like a lot more now because it's got him at 15th. Um, but regardless, Missouri is still a top 25 recruiting team right now. It's not we're not done yet. So like the recruiting trail is still humming. Uh, as we've said before, during the season, they're probably only going to take about 16 guys until they can figure out who's going to stick around, who's going to leave once the season's complete. Um, but man, Drinkwitz recruit recruiting just never ends. The dude is, is uh, constantly on fire and uh, very excited to to see what else he can add. But so far, this is, this is a great addition. And uh, yeah, just another recruiting win. Just add it, add it to the it's tab. It's a thing of beauty, man. And, and even... Even when you think things are starting to slow down, Drinkwitz pulls out a, a flip from Nebraska, which makes you feel all the better. <laughs> Suck it, corn cobs. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, man. Th- God, we this was a long show. That was a that was a good long show for you guys. And that was just talking about Central Michigan and Kentucky. That's all in a little recruiting. So uh 
We hope you appreciate it's it. Football season, it baby. We're we're in it now. We're in it. This is where we thrive. Yeah. Mid-season That's four. Right. <laughs> this is the Tyler Beatty of podcast, man. We're already in mid-season four. Uh, I don't think so. I, I hope I hope I'm wrong. Everything that I said over the last 45 minutes, well, until the recruiting thing, because I really like the, yeah. the guy they got. Um, everything that I said prior, I, I hope I'm wrong about all of it. And they're able to come through and they find a way to defend what looked yeah. like an unstoppable offense in Kentucky in week one. And they pull out a victory. I, I will add this. I don't care how they do it. If they win this game two to nothing. I do not care if they win this game no. 57 to 55. <laughs> do not care. However, you're able to get it done. A win is a win is a win, especially on the road against a pure program like Kentucky. Just get it done. Just win, baby, as Al Davis once said, and find a way to come home with the W at 2-0, and and you'll be feeling Absolutely. good going into that Boston yeah. College game. So we will we will come to you with the post-game analysis on Sunday night. That show will drop probably Monday morning, so you can hear it just in time for everything. Hopefully it's a happy show, but if not, we will tell you what the heck happened and we'll give you reasons to, to look forward to this, <laughs> to the SEMO game, okay, but also Boston College. So uh, tune in. It's it's a late game, 6.30 on Saturday on the SEC Network. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Uh, you can leave a comment or you can give us a rate because we have all types of feedback from you all. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. And you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN from 10 to 3. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm Izzy. Is he you?